We have turned worshiping God into a commodity. We have turned church into a business. You like one show, you go see that show of that pastor. You like this style, so you go here. You try to find something that fits into your schedule better, something that doesn't step on your toes because who wants to feel bad after you leave church? We have turned church into something you consume instead of something that consumes you. This last week at our retreat, one of the speakers said this, if you could say your church was about one sentence, if you could put and summarize your church into one sentence, what would that one sentence be? I asked a few people, got some feedback, even asked my wife, and got a different ideas, and I determined that this, Oakenwoods Baptist Church is about Jesus. I don't know what you came today to be part of. Maybe you came to be part of a denominational movement, but we are not about a denomination. We are part of one, but we are not part of one. We're about Jesus because no denomination ever died on the cross for you. I don't know if you came here expecting certain doctrinals to be preponderantly pushed and talked about. Many churches find themselves being pushed into an area where they're about social justice or they're about some social political cause, and I may even agree with their causes. Some churches find themselves being consumed about certain doctrinal positions, and I may even agree with their doctrinal positions, but no doctrinal position has ever brought a family back together. No doctrinal, no denomination has ever done anything that Jesus has done. Today, we have come here today to be about Jesus. Because it's only Jesus that can change your family. It is only Jesus that can change your life today. And it is only Jesus who will change your eternity. We need an approach about church and about God that we approach Him not asking what we can get from you, but Lord, we're here just to be about you. We want to hear about Jesus, learn about Jesus, so that we can in turn turn around and worship Jesus. Why? Well, today I believe that no other topic can be more life-changing, more life that Jesus changes more than this topic today as we talk about family and marriage. If you're taking notes, the enemy is the home attack like ice wedging. The enemy of the home attacks like ice wedging. What is ice wedging? Well, you can see the video behind me over to my right. Ice wedging is a very simple process where a small amount of water gets in a crack, and then after winter comes, that water freezes. And water does something that no other liquid will do. Water will expand when it's frozen. Water actually loses density. That's why your ice cubes melt, or excuse me, float. And that's why fish can live in a pond, and the pond just freezes at the top. You see, when we were at Bambi last week, we were out on the lake. And I'm kind of a city boy. I'm not much of a lake guy. But Ron grew up up north. We walked out on the lake, and it was frozen. And that pond, or excuse me, that lake started making these big banging sounds. And I said, oh, my. I don't know much about lakes, but I know you don't want to be in one and go down in it when it's ice. And then Ron goes, oh, no, no, it's no big deal. Don't worry, this happens all the time up north in lakes. And so, But I also noticed he was saying it as he was moving off the ice. <laughs> so I went home and I searched, you know, why do ponds make certain noises and why does ice make noises? And I came across ice wedging. You see, in the spring and in the summer when that water gets inside that crack, you don't even think anything about it. You really don't even notice it. But when the pressures of winter come, that small little crack starts to expand and gets bigger and gets bigger and gets bigger. 
And then it melts again and stays there, and a little bit more water comes in. So then next winter it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's exactly how the enemy destroys your family. That's exactly how the enemy destroys your marriage. That's how the enemy destroys your life. He looks for small. He's like a roaring, roaring lion seeking who may be able to devour him. He looks for small little cracks. And once he finds them, he puts something in there. When the pressures of life and time, it starts to separate and separate and separate. Another topic for today, I guess I could sub-call Gary my message, is how to seal coat your soul. Because you see, the enemy will slowly divide you and your marriage. Slowly divide you and your family. But you know what he'll also do? Maybe even more, more importantly than all that. He looks for cracks. And he slowly divides you and God. What was once a tight and close relationship has now been, over time, slowly deteriorating and deteriorating. King Saul had a few minor cracks in his character, we've seen. And those minor cracks have turned into ice wedging. And his relationship between him and God, well, eventually it's going to completely fall apart. You see, what's going to happen because of these ice wedging, because of these cracks in his relationship, Saul's going to lose his home. He's going to lose his kingdom. Worst, he's going to lose his son's life, and he will lose the power of God in his life. And David, David will learn from Saul's example. He'll learn. And fortunately, we know the life of David. He doesn't learn enough. He's going to learn today how to guard his life from cracks, how to seal coat his soul. See, David has a new enemy here in chapter 18. And his enemy? Well, his enemy is King Saul. Saul's going to be so jealous of David, he's going to repeatedly try to kill David. You see, the greatest enemy, though, that David has, the greatest enemy that David has is not Saul. The greatest enemy David has is Saul's example. Sir, father, grandfather, the greatest enemy your child, your grandchild probably has in his life is not the local drug dealer. The greatest enemy, maybe not even be heroin, the greatest enemy probably isn't materialism. The greatest enemy isn't a boring preacher who goes over 20 minutes. The greatest enemy in your son's life is your example. I can preach all I want and talk all I want. We can give an amazing ministry that impacts children. But as soon as they go home and dad lives a different life in front of them, it undermines or erases everything that's ever been taught to them. Amen? Today... David must learn a few things. Number one, he's going to have to learn to be deeper than surface. Deeper than surface. It's a very difficult thing in our culture, in our society. We are programmed to be shallow. And maybe it's most shallow, it's most revealed in our celebrity worship. A few years ago, and this was a little more prevalent, uh, somebody, a friend of mine emailed me this, you know, celebrities without makeup. You know, these Hollywood actresses, they look real beautiful on camera. But here's what they look like going to the grocery store without any makeup. Pretty scary truth, actually. <laughs> um, gentlemen, this isn't in my notes. It's not in your notes, excuse me. But I'll just say this to you today. Godliness and character in a woman never fades. Godliness and character in a woman never fades. Saul is shallow. And because he's shallow, what is he going to think of? Well, let's see what he prioritizes. Look at verse 6. And it came to pass as they came when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that's Goliath, that the woman came out of all their cities of Israel singing and dancing. Be careful of dancing women. 
to meet King Saul with tambourines and joy with instruments of music. And the woman answered one another as they played and said, Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Here's Saul's reaction. And Saul was very wroth. Saul was mad. And the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousand, but unto me they have ascribed but thousands. What can he have more uh, but the kingdom? They have just come from a great victory over the Philistines, an amazing battle, and God has given the victory. Saul is not excited about what God has done. No, Saul is only concerned about what the female singers think. Oh. Very easy to be pulled offside, isn't it, by a pretty face, gentlemen? Very easy to be pulled offside about what's really important, by what the crowd thinks, by what a group of people, by what peer pressure is. Listen, if you think peer pressure ends when you're 18, you are very wrongly mistaken. Some of you right now are driving things you really can't afford, but you're afraid of what the neighbors might think about you. You live in zip codes that you could probably live in a different zip code and pay less taxes on a smaller house and have a smaller heating bill. Oh, those heating bills, man. It's hard to heat a big home. You got all these little, you think all these kids running around my house would create friction, right? They don't. We do all sorts of things. Why? Because we fall into the trap of what we think other people are thinking about us. I'll give you this life lesson about being shallow. God never uses shallow people because their focus is on themselves and not God. See, what the world is offering in its pretty packaging, what the world offers in pretty packaging is basically worthless and hollow. One person gave this advice, never buy a portable TV set on the sidewalk from a man who's out of breath. <laughs> but when you buy into the world's shallow values, that's what you're buying. Materialism, climbing a corporate ladder, wealth, it's all a scam. Seal coat your life. Focus deeper than just the surface. Number two, David must learn, be committed to God's cause. Watch how far away from God Saul is. Look at verse 9. And Saul eyed David from that day forward. Remember, isn't that interesting? Saul is shallow. So Saul's primary sense is not his sense of the Holy Spirit's leading. Saul's primary sense is is his eyes. What his eyes sees are what is important to him. Verse 10, And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God, uh, there's a lot of debate about that evil spirit. We've talked about it a few months ago. And I will just like some say it's a demon and such, and that's fine if others believe that, and that's not, it's not an incorrect belief probably. Uh, but I believe probably more accurately this evil spirit is probably depression. A Christian who is out of God's will will be the most depressed person on the planet. Verse 10, And came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house. Saul is not right with God. Saul is not walking in the Spirit. Saul is consumed by the flesh. He is a carnal believer, and yet he prophesied. Makes me wonder a few things. Prophecy has two parts to it. You need to understand this. Number one, prophecy was to speak of the future was to speak of the future. Uh, this form of prophecy will end when the word of God is complete. 
you can check that out in 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 10, or you can come to our Wednesday night study as we've been hitting this topic very often. This is not the prophesying that Saul is doing. This is the prophesying led by the Holy Spirit. There's another part to prophesying, and it's this. To speak with authority. This is the type of things that are usually about God. This is what I'm trying to do to you right now. I'm trying to prophesy into your life. Because I'm not trying to tell you the future what the Holy Spirit's telling me to tell you. No, I'm trying to tell you what the Holy Spirit has already said and speak it with authority in your life. This is proclaiming God's Word. Every preacher who gets up and proclaims the Word of God prophesies. Amen? You see, but Saul is doing this. You know, this tells me a couple things. that Many of the things done in God's name are not from him. Be very careful of the guy on TV who wears a nice white suit and looks like he can hit people over the head and knock them down. Somebody just needs to smack him back. Be very careful of the person who tells you, well, in God's name. Listen, those of you that are old enough, you know there's about two or 300 people who died drinking the Kool-Aid in Ghana because somebody got up and said, in God's name, this is what we're supposed to do, correct? Listen, be very careful of it. That's why... We focus here as a church, as a group of believers, we focus on the preliminary and the source of our knowledge is on the Word of God. And when somebody steps out of this, you're walking in dangerous, dangerous territory above anything outside of the Word of God. But it also tells me that I cannot be a man of God without God. Specifically, the Holy Spirit. The giving of the, the Spirit of God, He controls us and He brings a Freedom that only He can bring. And only a power that the Spirit of God can bring. So Christian, let me ask you. Are you doing everything by your own power? Dad, what your family needs most of all is a vacation to Florida. Maybe without you. No. Your family needs most of all, it needs a dad who is a Spirit-led man. How much of this world would be changed if I could just get every father, now even if he's not married to the woman, but if I could just get every father to make a commitment to the principles of God's Word, to get up every day and say, I just want to be Spirit-led. I want to do what the Holy Spirit tells me. If I could just do things that honor God, this world would be completely different today, wouldn't it? You wouldn't be locking your homes. Some of you wouldn't have that little bulge on your side, right? You know, that piece of metal that stops people because it projects metal, right? Conceal and carry. Some of you, come on, work with me, right? Why do you carry it? Because it's nice to have a bulge. No, because you see the news, you see what happens, and you want to protect yourself. I'm getting a little slower, not as quick as used to, and I'm going to have to probably get something to compensate for that. Usually I would just sick my wife on people, but... Get her, sweetheart. Mom, you know what your kids need? They need a mom who is sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. A Spirit-led mom. And what does this church need? Members who want God's Spirit more than anything. How do you do that? I said, how, do you, how, do you, how do you become that? I don't think it's that hard. See, God, no. Listen, anybody tells you, here's the secret. There's no secrets. The problem is we just don't do the things we're told. You want the power of God in your life? I'll be very clear. Be about the causes of God. Here are the causes of God. Real simple. I, 
You could probably add a few, but just for time's sake, I'm going to give you three so I can give you done in 20 minutes. The causes that God's holiness, personal holiness. God doesn't want you doing that habit. He really doesn't. God wants you to break free of those bonds and those those chains that have bound your family and everybody in your family gets involved in this area of sin. God wants to finally break and set you free. And that's what the power of the Holy Spirit is for. But the problem is, do you really want to be set free from it? Evangelism, telling other people about Jesus. Oh, pastor, I'm not like you. I'm not bold and direct. I'm going to tell you something. I am naturally shy. And don't laugh. Everybody always laughs at that. But honestly, I am a shy, withdrawn person. And the ability to get up and talk to you is nothing that I've created or brought up. My brothers and sisters all think I'm weird because I do this, because I get up in front of people. My brother one time said, oh, you're just a showy person. You want people to look at you. I'm like, you've known me my whole life. Have I ever been that way? The worst thing you can do, and if you do this, I'm going to be carrying a gun, so be careful. The worst thing you can ever do to me is in a crowded area outside here, shout my name. Steve Shed, I hate that. Because I don't want people to know me. I don't want people to look at me or anything. But pastor, I don't have the ability. That's great. You're right. You don't have the ability. But if you're saved here today, you have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. The problem is you're not surrendering to the movement of the Holy Spirit. God wants to make you an evangelist. The problem is you're in the way. I can't do it. You're right. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can. And lastly, how about ministry? Getting involved in doing something and helping out someone else. Whether it's a children's ministry. Can I tell you this again? We need more help in a children's ministry. Which one? All of them. I've got some children's workers who are about to have to have a nervous breakdown. I would too if I had to run around with those kids. But listen, this, that guy on TV that's telling you that the Holy Spirit's about making the hair in the back of your neck stand up, that God just wants to heal you, give you perfect straight teeth, and let you be rich and your kids have perfect act, you know, skin with no acne, right? That's not what the Holy Spirit's about. That's a lie from the pit of hell. You've consumerized. You've made the Holy Spirit a commodity. This is why you've been given the Holy Spirit. These are the causes of God. Get involved in God's causes, and you will be spirit-led. You need to seal coat the cracks of your life by committing to God's causes, not yours. Number three, David must learn to be someone who acts in love. Saul acts out of fear, and watch this in verse 10. And David played with his hand in that time, other time, and there was a javelin in Saul's hand. Look at that. The fear is coming over him, the anger. Uh, young ladies, never hang out, never date a dude who can't control his temper. The, the excuse of, well, I'm just Irish. Okay. Okay. That's why we're the best-looking people on the planet, not why we have a temper, all right? No, that's just because you refuse to control yourself, sir. Amen, ladies? And gentlemen, what do you do with a lady that has a temper? I don't know, you just marry her, I guess. But verse 11, that's what I did. Anyway, verse 11. I found out real quick that Mexicans are different. Mexican girls are different than white girls. I was raised around all these white girls, you know, very quiet and everything, was married about the first uh, week into our marriage, and I did something that made my wife mad, and she threw a knife at me out of the kitchen. <sighs> Never did it again. Learned real quick. Don't make a Mexican girl mad. But anyways, 
And Saul cast the javelin. There it is. Saul must be Mexican. But anyway, Saul cast the javelin. I can say it. You can't. Saul cast the javelin. For he said, I will smite David, David, even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of the presence, not once, but twice. Verse 12. Here's why he does it. And Saul was afraid of David because of the Lord was with him. And why? And had departed from Saul. When you don't have God, you will be afraid. Listen, fear is created when there is a vacuum of faith. Fear is created when there's a vacuum of faith. Um, listen to this little story. Scratched on the walls of one of the Nazi prison camps, there were the words, I believe in the sun, even when it does not shine. I believe in love, even when it is not expressed. And I believe in God, even when he is silent. That is faith. Even when it seems God has been removed, faith says I'm still following him. Faith says, I don't understand why. But I know he loves me too much to make poor decisions for me. When you remove faith, when you remove God, fear comes in like a vacuum. Oh, don't believe me? These last few years and decades and so we have been taking God out of our society and out of our country. Ladies, do you feel safer now than you did 30, 40, 50 years ago? It's amazing. You know, we used to let kids roam around and play free. Listen, some of you right now, don't ever badmouth these kids for playing video games. Listen, I'm going to be honest with you. This is not funny at all. You know why our kids have to stay inside and play video games and don't go outside? Is because we dropped the ball and let these depraved perverts and sexual offenders out on the street. That's why. If we had put those people in prison or sent them to a God who is only fit to judge them, if we had done something about this society instead of sexualizing children, instead of turning the other way and just allowing all of these things to happen, maybe kids could go outside and play and we don't have to monitor them like we're gonna, they're going to be abducted and taken away. Amen? Can I just say this? And I don't want to get political and however you want to vote is your business. I'm not trying to be political here. But the phrase, make America, make America great again, you all know who said it, so I don't have to explain it. But if you really want to make America great again, I thought about it this week, if you're going to make America great again, faith in God must be renewed. Now look, the president can make the economy great again. The president can get out of the way of business and make jobs prevalent again. A president can get in the way and destroy an economy. A president can make a border secure. A president can make government smaller. I mean, presidents and governments can do a lot of these different things. But in order for America to truly be great again, faith in God must be renewed. There's nothing that can't... Listen, there's no government program that can do what a godly father can do. But sir... It all starts with a personal faith in Jesus Christ. Do you know him as your Lord and Savior today? Well, Pastor Steve, I've been part of religion my entire life. I grew I didn't say that I've been part of religion. 
I said, have you accepted what Jesus did on the cross for your personal sin? And you and you alone can only do that. I had a discussion with one of our younger um, men about a certain doctrinal statement of a position. doesn't really matter what it is. He said, man, that, that, that would keep me up at night. I would wonder if I was really saved. And I came back and I said, to be perfectly honest with you, I only know of one person 100% I know saved. I only know of one person 100% who's going to heaven, and that's me. Because I know what I did when, as a young boy, when I got down on my knees in my home and asked Christ to be my Lord and Savior and be the payment of my sin. Sir, there's no baptism that can do it. There's no church attendance can do it. You can take the preacher out to lunch all you want. You should. You can take him out to lunch all you want, but it won't get you to heaven. The only way you're going to heaven is by accepting what Jesus did on the cross. He died in in place of you so that you could be forgiven of God of your sin. It all starts with that. And maybe, maybe that's our real problem. There are cracks in your life. Water's sipping in between you and your wife, you and your family. But most importantly, it's slipping in between you and God. Doesn't look like much now, but eventually it's going to destroy you. David had to learn, and we have to learn the same things. Be deeper than surface people. Be committed to God's causes. And be someone who acts in love. I talk a lot about my dad, because he made a huge impact. No other man on this planet made an impact on my life more than my father. Uh, But my dad and I did not have anything in common. We had football and, well, Jesus. That was pretty much it. You know, as I prepared this, I realized it would have been very easy for Satan to put a wedge in between us because we didn't have anything in common and anything like that other than Jesus or anything. But I thought of a story that really when I was younger cemented the concept that my father's love for us was unquestionable. My dad had a car. In fact, uh, my brother owns it now. Um, It's only got about 12,000 miles on it. Most of it's quarter mile. And uh, it's a 66 Nova. And that's a big car. It was a big in our family. We were never allowed to touch it and everything. I didn't get to drive it until after my dad died. So that tells you a lot right there. But, uh, and even then, I, I, I took it out of my mom's house without her knowing. But uh, anyway, my dad loved that car. My dad raced it. But I found out one day that my dad loved me more. See, when I was a kid, I was about eight. My dad and my brother were in the garage, and I was there too. It was kind of a fall, kind of a cold, you know, November sort of uh, Saturday afternoon. And they were working on the car, and I was over there bouncing a ball. I liked sports, and my brother liked cars. My brother was probably about nine. He's a year older than me. And my dad accidentally bumped. It was my dad's fault. He accidentally bumped his uh, motorcycle. He had a 69 Triumph, heavy bike. That bike started to fall. And my brother, being nine and seeing that it was going to hit the side, the side of the car that my dad loved, my brother went over there to get in the way and stop it. And then I watched something that I couldn't believe. I watched my dad grab my brother by the shirt because he would have gotten hurt and pull him out of the way. And then the bike hit the front left corner panel and put a deep scratch that was in it for about 15 years. I couldn't believe it. My dad loved that car. 
but my dad chose my brother over it. Really? Bill? If you knew him too, you would be surprised too. But and right then I thought, my dad loved me. I mean, cause if he'd do it for my brother, surely he would have done it for me. My dad loved me more than anything on this planet. And that crack that could have been there was sealed up. My father loved me. You know, Satan's trying to use small little cracks in the head. Things to point at and say, you know what, that church doesn't really like you. That pastor hates you. Your husband, uh, look at his problems. Look at the mistakes of him. And every time you look at your husband's mistakes and tell him, tell me all of his mistakes, I'll ask you one question. Were you forced to marry him? No. You knew his mistakes going in, didn't you? But you thought you'd change it. And he uses those little cracks and he tries to draw the wedge between the two. And he does that with teenagers, doesn't he? Remember when you were a teenager and you thought, my parents don't understand me, my parents. You know what that is? That's a crack in the relationship. And God, listen, and Satan is trying to use it to drive you to a part. Today, you need to seal coat your relationships with you and your family. Seal coat the relationship with you and your wife. Seal coat the relationship between you and your church. Seal coat the relationship between you and your grandkids. But today, most importantly, seal up the relationship between you and God. Do you know him as personal Savior? Every head bowed and every eye closed.